some of you remember Iris Menzies. Uh, Iris used to be a member of our church. Uh, this week she graduated from Oxford University with a master's degree in linguistics. Uh, it was a wonderful conclusion to a long, difficult few years. She planned to study in Oxford beginning in 2020, uh, but then COVID happened, international travel stopped, and she ended up studying the whole degree, the Oxford degree, by distance. Watching lectures online through the middle of the night because of time difference in her father's home in the Blue Mountains, uh, without friends, too many friends around her, uh, she struggled with self-doubt and loneliness and motivation and deadlines, but she finally did it. And you can see the smile on her face. Uh, what a joy to make it through those difficulties. Uh, and she was able to travel to Oxford to graduate. Uh, and there's even a photo of her graduating uh, there. And uh, um, yeah, she's got a huge smile. It's a well-used expression, but it's true. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. You have to work hard to overcome difficulties if you want to succeed, if you want to see gain at the end. It's true in much of life. It's true for exercise and sport. It's true for weight loss. It's true for study. It's true for pretty much anything you want to create that's good. And most of the time, I want to suggest it's true of the Christian life as well. This is the message that the letter to the Hebrews has for these Jewish Christians. We've seen that they're at the point of giving up on Jesus because being a Christian isn't as easy as they expected. There's pain involved. But the message of Hebrews is no pain, no gain. Maybe that's a message you need to hear today. Perhaps it's physical suffering, chronic illness or disability. Perhaps it's loneliness or anxiety or a disappointing relationship or a lack of relationship. Perhaps it's unemployment or underemployment or stressful employment. Perhaps it's financial pressure. Perhaps it's performance pressure from parents or university study. And you're wondering what God is doing. Why isn't he bringing the blessings? I'm trusting you, where are the blessings? Is it worth it? Well, what Hebrews 11 says is that it is worth it, however much pain you're in in the present. Uh, Hebrews 11 points us to the future, to what we can't yet see, to God's promises. Hebrews 11 reminds us of the true meaning of faith, because faith in God, despite what lots of people tell you, is not a guarantee that your life will be easy. Faith looks beyond what you can see and experience at the moment. Faith is a confident focus on something better that comes after the present difficulties. Faith is believing that there is gain after the pain. We're looking at chapter 11 today, but just cast a glance back to the end of chapter 10. It sets the scene for us. I'm hoping you've got your Bibles open. I love to hear the sound of flicking pages. Uh, chapter 10, verse 35 there's the direct appeal. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't give up. Keep going. Persevere. Don't shrink back. It's an interesting word. Don't shrink back. Instead, live by faith. 
So verse 39, the end of the chapter, finishes this way. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are those who believe. We are those who have faith and are saved. Don't shrink back, have faith. And then we get to chapter 11, which is all about what that sort of faith looks like. Faith that doesn't shrink back, faith that keeps going. Now, in lots of ways, it's a very simple chapter. It moves through the Old Testament. There are a long list of examples. Examples of the sort of faith that's defined in verse 1. Faith that hopes confidently in what you can't see yet. So here's the definition. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. It's a certainty about something that you can't see. It's a confidence that if God promised it, then he will deliver. It's a confidence based, verse 3, on the fact that if God can speak the universe into being out of nothing, out of things that you can't see, well then everything else is easy. Why not trust him for the things that you can't yet see? So here comes the list of people. Run your eye through the chapter and you'll see those words by faith, repeated as a chorus again and again, 22 times in fact. Abel, verse 4. Genesis chapter 4, the son of Adam and Eve. God counted him righteous because of his faith. Or Enoch, verse 5. Commended because he pleased God. It's impossible to please God without faith. Then there's Noah, verse 7. Even though he couldn't see a cloud in the sky... He started building a boat. Faith does something in the present even though it can't see what's coming. Same thing with Abraham, verse 8. God doesn't say where he's going to end up. He can't see the destination, but he obeys God. He was prepared to live in a tent as a tourist, a traveller, because at each point he was looking forward. Verse 10 says he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's looking forward to something better beyond this life where he's in a tent and wandering. Abraham couldn't see it. He didn't know exactly what it was, but it was going to be far better than the life he was in at the moment. And so Abraham has faith. He believes God. But here's where faith is different to the way some people, even some Christians today, describe faith. Jump down to verse 13. None of them received what they hoped for. If they were looking to be rewarded, none of them got it. They had the faith, but they never saw what they'd been promised. Verse 13 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They were still looking forward right to their last breath because they were looking for something better than a piece of Palestinian real estate in Abraham's case. Something more than just the good things of this life. Notice how verse 13 finishes. They admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. You see, God's people were made for somewhere else. This life won't satisfy us. We were made to be unsatisfied by this life. 
So we shouldn't set our hopes on anything here. You see, ultimately God has bigger plans for us. Verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly home. Therefore God is not ashamed to to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These faithful saints, us too, these faithful saints, they were longing for something better. They treated this planet as temporary until they could go home. Is that the way you think about your life here? Or have you settled in? Is this home? Is this where you find all of your satisfaction and your fulfilment, where all your goals and dreams are? It'll make a difference about the things you aim for and what you pray for and what things matter most if you set your hope, your faith on our heavenly city rather than our earthly cities. Well, on it goes, verse 17, we come to Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his only son because he reasoned that God could raise the dead. Now that tells me he was willing to go through with killing his son because he thought, well, God will bring him back to life. That's faith. That's believing in the power of an invisible, of what's invisible, what he can't see. Or verse 20, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they made decisions in the present because they trusted God for the future. Verse 24, we come to Moses. He could have had a life of luxury in Pharaoh's court, but he makes a decision and chooses to be mistreated with God's people instead. Why would you do that? Because he's taking the long view. Because he's believing in something he can't yet see. He's prepared to put up with the pain in the present because of the gain in the future. And I think at this point there's an obvious message from the writer to the Hebrews to the people he's writing to. Because these Christians were being tempted to avoid standing with God's mistreated people. They were tempted to give up on their Christian friends who were suffering persecution. They were tempted to go back to Judaism which was soft and easy and not persecuted. They were tempted to put their comforts ahead of faithfulness. But that's, that's not Moses. Look at Moses, verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because, why? He was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He sees the invisible God and so he has the faith to see the other things that are not yet visible, that are in the future. And so he leads out God's people. Well, we've made it to verse 31. We're about halfway through the Old Testament history already. We're into the book of Joshua. But from verse 32, the pace quickens. It's interesting. He's obviously a preacher. He says, I don't, yet have, I don't have time to talk about these other things. He's looking at the clock, thinking, OK, I'm, I'm imagining the people's attention's wandering. I better speed up. And, and he begins to summarise a whole lot more. There are some of the great victories of the judges. But balanced 
with something else. From verse 35, there are those who, who died for their faith as well. The Old Testament tells stories of great escapes and victories, lions' mouths that were shut, flames that don't burn people, widows whose sons were raised back to life. But from verse 35, there are other cases which are different, of those who didn't escape, at least not in this life, those who would rather die than be unfaithful because they had their eyes on what was ahead, on a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. Still others, verse 36, were chained, put in prison, stoned, sawed into, put to death by the sword. Perhaps he's thinking of the, Jew, uh, the Jewish Maccabean revolts against the Romans, 2nd century BC. That's sort of early history for these readers. Uh, perhaps he's actually thinking contemporaries. Perhaps he's thinking Christians suffering martyrdom in Roman Colosseums. We don't really know what he's thinking of. But the point is, they are just as faithful, even though they died, as those who were spared and were victorious. They were just as faithful. You see, faith doesn't guarantee you a good outcome rather than a bad one. Faith is whatever happens, you will confidently look forward. We sometimes think our testimony needs to be victorious, to be encouraging. We think it needs to be a story of God's rescue or triumph or empowering presence of things turning out well. But it can be just as encouraging to hear how how someone has stuck at it through a trial, can't it? It is for me, anyway. Uh, At session this week, we heard from Anne Sprague, who uh, hopefully you know, she comes to our 9 o'clock service. Uh, She's at SNBC at the moment, and she wants to be a Bible translator when she finishes college. And she said that she has wanted to be a Bible translator since she was seven. When she first heard Robin Davies speak at her Sunday school. Now Robin Davies has been a Bible translator in Papua New Guinea for something like 40 years since she was Anne's age. Year after year, translating the Bible so that a small tribal group of several thousand people, I don't really know the numbers, can learn about Jesus in their own language. I tried to flesh out this paragraph a bit by Googling Robin and finding out what... I could could hardly find any information about it. She's just kept at it for 40 years. She keeps going. She's given up all sorts of comforts and good things because she can see God's promises for something better. That's faith. That's inspiring. It's inspired Anne. I think we've got our own roll call of faith heroes and perhaps some of these will be embarrassed when I name them. Like Anne herself, early 20s, willing to give up all sorts of possibilities. She's educated, she's gifted, she's energetic because she trusts God's promises. She's working for something better. Or Paul Leahy, he's got some struggles but he's always patient and cheerful in the face of them. You ask him how he's doing and he'll say, I'm okay, even though I know he's had a bad week. He always wants to know how everyone else is doing. 
Or there's Marjorie. She could have retired years ago and chosen to slow down, but she keeps looking after our easy English service. She keeps running Bible studies. She's still excited to see people come in and trust Jesus. Now I could go on. These people, they show faith that looks beyond the present to the future. Now their example is a great encouragement to me, even though it's not necessarily one of victory and amazing wins. You see, faith, whether good or bad comes your way, looks beyond what we're experiencing. After the pain comes the gain. Verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They didn't just receive it personally within their life. They never got to see God's promises in history. They never saw Jesus. But look at verse 40. It's amazing how verse 40 connects the past with the present. They they didn't receive what had been promised, but God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is saying that that God had planned to bring Jesus for us, for, for the contemporaries of Hebrews and those ahead of Jesus, so that the Old Testament saints could also be made perfect through Jesus. God had planned something better. That's the ultimate goal. All God's people inheriting his eternal life. But we can't see it yet. We're not seeing there. We're not seeing it yet. Faith looks beyond today, beyond next year. Faith looks beyond the pain to the gain, to our next life. God's eternal plan is what counts. And so we come to the end of chapter 11 to the end of this hall of fame and so we come to the point the application for the whole thing here's the lesson for us therefore see there in verse 1 of chapter 12 therefore keep running therefore since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Follow their example. That's the point. Run like they do. Run with perseverance. Don't sit on the couch and watch them. Get rid of excuses. Perhaps it's sin that holds you back. Habits that you can't break. Thoughts, actions, ways of dealing with life. Laziness. Self-centeredness. Sin, that's a cancerous growth that eats into your energy and your enthusiasm to serve Jesus. Get rid of it. But not just sin, anything that hinders running with perseverance. May not be sin. Like the weeds in the parable of the sower, the cares of this world choke your spiritual life. What are the cares of the world you need to get rid of? Maybe the expectations of family or parents to be successful. Maybe it's finances, kids' education, saving for retirement. Maybe it's a desire to be married. And the priorities of Jesus just 
gradually become less and less important. Get rid of those things, throw them off, cast them aside, run with perseverance, (laughs) run like Robin Davies or Anne or Paul or Marjorie. Run like Jesus. Because it's not just the saints of the past we're to imitate, we're to look to Jesus. Look at verse 2. He is the great example of faith which doesn't produce a comfortable ride. He's the example that proves the point. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you see the principle again? Who for the gain puts up with the pain, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author and perfecter of our faith. He's not just the basis of our faith. He's not just its foundation. He's the best example of our faith. He's the culmination of our faith and the finale of our faith. You see, it's his faith that looked beyond the pain of the cross, past the opposition and hatred of wicked men, and looked to the gain of resurrection, the gain of sitting at the Father's right hand. And so we're to keep at it. We're to copy Jesus so that we don't grow weary, so that we don't give up, so that we don't settle for the temporary comfort, the temporary pleasure, and we keep holding out for the gain of tomorrow. And more than just sticking at it, we're encouraged to to change our perspective, to change the way we think about the tough times. Rather than thinking that God is being cruel and we just have to endure it, that God is ignoring us, we can recognise his purpose behind it. You see, it's easy to think that if you lose your job or your health fails or your possessions are stolen, it's easy to think that God must hate you or he's punishing you or he's not interested in you. If he really loved you, these things wouldn't happen. But Hebrews goes on to make the point that these things are actually a sign of your father's love. These struggles are actually pain that leads to gain. They're not punishment, they're training and discipline to make you spiritually fit. There's a quote from Proverbs in verses 5 and 6 which reminds us that the Lord's discipline is a sign of his love. Your illness, your unemployment, your loss, your struggle, it's actually designed and allowed and shaped by God to train you, to grow you. And so verse 7 says, because of that, stick at it. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Verse 10, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, sure, it's, it's not going to be wonderful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. That's faith, isn't it? That recognises that. Faith says, no pain, no gain. So stop complaining, verse 12. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. That's your spiritual arms and knees. Build some spiritual muscle. Rejoice in tough times. Keep obeying even when it seems like nonsense. Keep responding to anger with graciousness. Keep responding to patience with suffering. Uh, with, uh, sorry, keep responding to suffering with patience. Keep responding to thoughtlessness from others with thoughtfulness. Because those things make you stronger. Those things are a sign that your Heavenly Father loves you. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you feel distant from God. Maybe you feel emotionally unsatisfied, lonely, overlooked, unappreciated, disappointed with life. Faith doesn't promise to fix those things, but faith says to look beyond them. Faith says, I'm not going to find my satisfaction here. I'm an alien and a stranger. I need to keep trusting Jesus and look over the horizon and just keep pressing on. I'm not going to find my security here, no matter how big my house, no matter how bright my career, no matter how attentive my husband or boyfriend is. So I need to follow the examples of the past, especially the example of Jesus, and joyfully press on because there are better and eternal things ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see our present and our future with the eyes of faith. Help us to see things which are tough as your loving hand of discipline. And so shape us. Shape us by your word. Shape us by the experiences Grow our faith, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.